This week on Geek Explained, it's back-to-back comic goodness as Dallas of the Comics Collective Podcast joins me once again to put the Geek Explained spotlight on Jeff Lemire's Sweet Tooth. Welcome back to Geek Explained. I'm your host, Eric Azana, and today's episode is the second Geek Explained spotlight in a row. We don't do this very often, but when we do, you know you've got a great discussion on comic books incoming. Last week, we covered Hoxpox as part of the finale for X-May. This week, with the start of a brand new month here in June, we're taking a look at Jeff Lemire's Sweet Tooth. And not only because there is a wonderful Netflix adaptation coming out this week, but also because I have been meaning to read this for a very long time. It's one of those comics that you have on a list of comics that you should feel ashamed of for having not read before, and luckily, I had someone who commiserated with me and having not read Sweet Tooth before. It's Dallas from the Comics Collective Podcast joining me once again from last week's episode to talk about the very very first volume of Sweet Tooth, the first 12 issues. We're going to be talking all about that to get you ready for what's to come in this Netflix show and to give you kind of a taste of what the comic's all about. Speaking of comics, we also have this week's Comics Countdown. But before we get into all of that, let's check in with this week's news. All right, guys and dolls, let's talk some news. We have a four categories, film, TV, comics, and miscellaneous. Going to kick things off with a quick piece of miscellaneous news, one piece of uh, really exciting video game news for me personally. Uh, I think we covered a while back that uh, Roger Craig Smith, who has been voicing Sonic in various video games, shows, and whatnot, um, would be stepping away from the role for reasons that were pretty much assumed that it was a studio thing that it was like oh we're trying to you know move in a different direction or whatever and this of course came with a ton of backlash from people who love smith's voice as sonic um I myself am a huge fan of Roger Craig Smith just as an actor and as a person uh, a lot of his roles have been some of my favorite. I just, I love his energy. I love what he brings to characters and his performances are always fun. So this was kind of sad news. You could tell how much he loved voicing Sonic. Well, over the past week, he uh, made a statement on Twitter, basically put this up with a, you know, when he made the announcement for context, I guess, uh, when he made the announcement that he was not going to be voicing Sonic anymore, he posted like this picture of a blue heart that was kind of broken. And in this post on Twitter over the past week, it was that same blue heart, but it was stitched together. And he made the announcement that he would be voicing Sonic again. We don't know what the, uh, 
what the terms of it are. We don't know why there was this whole to-do. I'm assuming the fan backlash definitely had some kind of influence on that, but I'm excited for him. I'm excited for him to be able to voice a character that he genuinely loves and obviously loves voicing so awesome awesome news all around hopping over to comic book news two pieces of comic book news on both sides of the big two aisle we have an announcement that uh jonathan hickman if you read x-men number 20 last week is going to be bringing back inferno the big x-men event from the I believe it was the 90s. Um, I'm probably getting that wrong. It's probably the late 80s. But (laughs) uh, we've talked about Inferno a couple times whenever uh, Matt Draper's on the... uh on the podcast because it was one of the big X-Men events that really crossed over to a bunch of other Marvel books, uh, specifically Thor. uh, Thor? Anyway, it was definitely Daredevil <laughs> because, um, like I said, the uh, if you want to go back a couple weeks to the most important X-Men events, uh, Matt talked about Inferno uh, at great length along with a bunch of other X-Men events. I absolutely love that episode. Go ahead and check that out. Uh, but... Hickman teased at the end of last uh, of the last X-Men issue, X-Men number 20, that was last week, that Inferno is going to be coming to Krakoa, which is bad news for everybody. Just everybody. It's heavily assumed that uh, Mystique is going to play a large hand in this because she is real, real mad that Eric and Xavier aren't going to be bringing back her, her love, her love, uh, Irene Adler, a.k.a. Destiny, and, I mean, the implications of Inferno Inferno with Madeline Pryor are too good to pass up. So I'm excited to see where they go with this. It's continuing to be a big year for X-Men comics. Uh, On the other side of the aisle over at DC, they announced that Green Lantern Legacy will be getting a sequel. That's right, Ty Pham is getting a second adventure as the Green Lantern. And this book entitled Green Lantern Alliance is going to be teaming him up with a brand new Kid Flash. So that's really exciting. I love that. I loved Green Lantern Legacy. Yes, they're made for younger readers, but just seeing Asian characters is really exciting. Yes, I know that, you know, I say it all the time, but more Asian characters, please. I love this. So hopping on over to film news, two big pieces of film news here. Uh, First off, For those of you who loved Joaquin Phoenix as the Joker, you're going to be getting more of him Maybe. Uh, Joker 2 has been confirmed with the director returning to uh, co-write the script as well as direct. Um, Fine. Great. You know, people really seem to enjoy uh, Joker, the original Joker film. I saw, uh, you know, I talked about it on the podcast. I never need to see that movie again. Uh, It's good for what it was. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix had an incredible... performance in the role i don't know what else there is to tell in this in this world in this story but maybe they'll change my mind maybe i'll be wrong and i'll have egg on my face for the rest of time but we will just have to see in bigger news i think uh we finally have a lead actor for the craven the hunter solo film this is being put together by Uh, Sony, who has been slowly building up a rogues gallery for a Spider-Man-less world with Venom, Carnage coming in the sequel to Venom. We've got Morbius, and now a Craven the Hunter solo film is coming out 
And we have our Craven. It was announced uh, last week that Aaron Taylor Johnson is going to be playing Craven the Hunter. I have some feelings about this. First of all, excellent. Excellent casting. Uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson has only gotten more Craven-like as the years have gone by since he was killed off as Quicksilver in Age of Ultron. I love this. Um, it's also very strange, considering, you know, all of the uh, Sony, Marvel, are they, are they not part of the same uh, universe, whatever. Um, we can always just chalk it up to multiverse shenanigans. I think that, you know, the uh, discovery by studios that, oh, wait, comic book comic books have a multiverse where people can be different people oh this is the easiest thing we never have to explain this now it was it's it's a get out of jail free card for studios to just cast actors willy-nilly but i'm excited aaron taylor johnson has a lot of physicality in him which i like uh recently i finally watched tenet and he was one of the best parts in a film that was very confusing to watch and not not very fun i gotta admit but um yeah, I'm excited for this. I know that he is going to kill it, uh, literally and figuratively, because Craven the Hunter is a, uh, a hunter. It's in his name. But I'm very excited about this. I will hold off on seeing exactly where they're going to go with this. Maybe they'll have him try and hunt down Morbius. Wouldn't that be fun? Uh, but we'll just have to see where they go. And then finishing things off with TV news, uh, three pieces of TV news that I'm very excited about. First off, Merle Dandridge. If you don't know that name, you will now. Merle Dandridge played Marlene in uh, The Last of Us Part 1 and a little bit in Part 2 through Flashback. It was announced this past week that she's going to be reprising her role as Marlene in The Last of Us HBO Max series. I'm very excited about this. More of this, please. More, uh, especially for adaptations of video games that are in essence very cinematic in themselves and how they're constructed just carry these people over that's why i was surprised that they didn't bring back uh troy baker for joel i mean i am over the moon at the joel that we're getting but i i i really like the idea of having actors who embody these characters through their voice through their mocap whatever you want to call it and having them cross over and get more uh I guess exposure. I know I as an as an artist I hate that word, but I really am excited and I'm excited that Merle is going to get the opportunity to continue on this character and continue to evolve this character because spoilers for the first game she dies at the end, but I'm very excited about this. Give me more of this, please. Also, speaking of uh TV shows, we've got an Okoye origin series coming to Disney Plus. I'm always down for more uh, Denai Guerrera. I'm always more. I'm always down for more Okoye, more Dora Milaje. Give me more. It is going to be a bit strange because Okoye has been so tied to T'Challa and the royal family. Maybe this will be her defending um, T'Challa's father, T'Chaka. Who knows? But. Um, I'm cool with this. I think that the the nice thing about Disney Plus and the nice thing about these Marvel Disney Plus shows is that we're getting more time to explore some of the more ancillary characters of the MCU. And 
I'm all for this. Give me more of all of this. Very excited to dive back into this world. But the most exciting piece of news for me on a personal level came this week on the TV front, and that is that JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Diamond is Unbreakable is now on Netflix. I have been waiting to rewatch this series in a completely legal capacity. Um... You're getting both dub and sub on Netflix, so if you are trying to jump into Joe's Bizarre Adventure, we talked about this in a mailbag uh, a couple weeks ago, and I also talked about it at great length as part of anime last year. Um, Now's the time. Uh, Netflix now has both, technically it's season one, season two, and season three, but they have Parts 1 through 4 on Netflix in both dub and sub. Go check it out, specifically because Diamond is Unbreakable is my favorite season. Diamond is Unbreakable is my favorite part of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Um, don't worry, I love Steel Ball Run. It is it is on its own echelon. But uh, in that initial six run, that initial six-part run, uh, Diamond is Unbreakable is my go-to. Diamond is Unbreakable is my favorite of those uh, first six JoJo parts. So now is the time to check it out. It's awesome. It's wonderful. Go do it. But that is going to wrap up this week's news. And speaking of Netflix, uh, we're going to hop right on over to the main event, the main course, the entree, if you will, which is is this month's Geeksplain Spotlight featuring the return of Dallas from the Comics Collective podcast as we discuss Jeff Lemire's Sweet Tooth. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to an anomaly in Geeksplain. That is a back-to-back Geeksplain spotlight. Last week, last month really, we talked about Hox Pox, House of X, and Powers of Ten. And this week, I liked our guests so much that I decided to yank them back for another week. This month, this week, for this edition of Geeksplain Spotlight, I am joined by Dallas from the Comics Collective Podcast. Dallas, how are you doing, man? I'm good. I I couldn't let Matt Draper be the person that's on this podcast the most, so <laughs> I had to get Matt, right back on. Matt has like drawn up some kind of strange uh, 
strange contract that he won't allow me to see and only lets me sign. So I don't know the terms exactly, but hopefully whenever he lets me out of my, uh, my 120 day non-compete clause, we can, I can start <laughs> to hopefully get more guests. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> so this month for this episode, we are talking about something pretty special and something that we were both uh, uniquely sleeping on, and that is Jeff Lemire's Sweet Tooth. Yeah. So the the occasion, the reason that we're doing this is because Netflix has a live action adaptation that is dropping this week as uh, as you were listening to this. And And uh, we are kind of checking out the comic for the first time. I had never read it. Dallas hit me up on Twitter and he was like, hey, so like I can finally share that, you know, we can commiserate the fact that neither of us have read this. Yeah, yeah. It's like one of the main indie Vertigo comics ever. And we we're both like, no, I'll just skip that. Yeah. Skip that know. and read a bunch of bullcrap. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just go read my fourth X-Men book exactly yeah my time to get back into the spider-man i'm run i'm lukewarm on don't need to read good comics no way so um sweet tooth that launched in november of 2009 this book is 12 years old that's um, weird full disclosure full disclaimer here um we read the first deluxe edition the deluxe edition book one so the first 12 issues of this run and we're in a unique position because for the first time with this uh geek Explain spotlight segment we don't know where the where the book's going past this at this point i haven't gotten to issue 13 this goes for like what like 40 50 issues i think some like that i'm pretty sure there are three deluxe books yeah but uh so it it goes for a while and we uh we are getting to talk about this book kind of fresh which is exciting because we don't know where it's going we only know the setups for all of these half a dozen mysteries <laughs> that are going on in this book man like it's exciting. It's really, really exciting. Yeah. Sorry for my cat in the background. She heard we were talking about animal people and she wanted to say <laughs> something. But well, I, I think that everyone should be represented here. And if exactly. we're talking about animals, we got to make sure that we're not getting things wrong. I think that's important. Yeah. She can be our touch point for this. Um, <laughs> this book is really fun because it's right in that sweet spot where I haven't had a lot spoiled. Because like it's not quite old enough to be referenced all the time in just passing conversation, and it's not new enough that stuff's just popping up all the time, you know. So I genuinely had no idea other than there was a little deer boy. Yeah, what was going to happen in this? Same. Like the only image that I really knew from this is that cover, like this cover mm -hmm. that they've actually got on the uh, on the deluxe edition of this little deer boy like poking out from behind some trees with a slingshot i'm like okay i kind of get what's going on here and after reading this no idea i had no yeah. idea what was going on there because <laughs> there is so much going on with this book it's crazy yeah and like it seems so unique and yet it seems so lemire if that mm -hmm. makes sense like having read essex county about a year and a half ago like, oh, it makes this it makes sense that this was the next thing that he did after Essex County, right? Yeah. 
as like it's got his scratchy art style it very much wants to talk about life in the midwest of north america and sort of like right in the sweet spot for lemire yeah he's like i want want to talk about how weirdly like religious and specific everybody is to this (laughs) neck of the woods and sweet dude just seems like an evolution of a lot of the themes from that early work of his yeah for sure and i think honestly like the thing that is so unique about this book is it is so very much lemire like i've I mean, if for those of you who aren't aware, Jeff Lemire has has been around the block for a little bit. He's been riding for a couple of years now. And um, some of my favorite recent runs on, I, I don't know if I'd call them fairly obscure characters, but he's had some runs on characters that don't get as much love as others. Mm-hmm. I mean, off the top of my head, of course, his Moon Knight run is fantastic. Um, I was a huge fan of his post-Secret Wars Old Man Logan run as well with Andre Sontino. And then he had this little, like, this little blip of an all-new all Hawkeye post mm-hmm. the Fraction Aja run, which was fine. But, like, <laughs> this book is unique for me as a reader just because this is my first experience with Lemire on art as well as... Uh, as well as writing duties and it's very what I love about it is it's so uh, it's so abstract like there isn't any book that I can look at this art style and go oh this reminds me of this book and that's really cool yeah it's it's a little bit like Mignola in that when you very first see it you're like oh this is kind of ugly and then you look at it more and you're like oh this is kind of genius you know (laughs) like it dawns on you you have to get used to the style a little bit and like his hyper thin uneven lines on everything at first you're like oh these are just squiggles and you look like there are it's so intentional and everything it looks exactly the way he wants it to look you know exactly and it's very again it's very uniquely Lemire in the fact that he can he can set up an atmosphere just from the first page, like mm-hmm. within, you know, you get four or five pages into the book and you know exactly the tone that it's going for, you know, you get a sense of the world that he's building with this. It is fascinating to really see like how much um, establishing that Lemire does, even in just the first issue and seeing how, we don't get a whole lot besides there's this kid named Gus, his dad is super sick. And within the first issue, his dad's gone and he's just alone in the world. And he's got these weird dreams of this very scary looking man. And then this scary looking man appears right when he needs him most. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's, there's already so much to unpack though, right there yeah, in the first man. issue, you know, and it does it over that the next 12 issues and, and on, honestly, I hope. But with him being on both writing and art duties, there's just a sense of intentionality to everything. Yeah, You know, like he definitely leans on visual storytelling where, like you said, it shows in a dream that this person's going to come in and save him. And so then it's almost, it serves as a visual cue for what's going to come next, you know? Right. And it's really fun and unique because... Lemire's creator owned stuff is some of my favorite stuff coming out right now. Like Gideon Falls just ended, which was That's amazing. Right. Um, Descender ended a while ago, but Ascender is going on right now. And it was interesting to come back to something that he is doing both writing and art on. 
because it has such a different flavor than even his other creator owned stuff, you know? Right. Oh yeah. Th there is almost no DNA between this and like a Gideon falls besides yeah. the fact that Lemire's name is on both of them. <laughs> yeah. The, is, the guy contains multitudes. <laughs> yeah. He's got, you want to talk about range. Like this guy knows he's got so much and it's, funny like as a creator like when you're c coming up with stuff for like a podcast or you're like storytelling and stuff looking at other storytellers and you see them like how do you have all of this in you like this is yeah. wild man yeah i remember a while back when this got announced that it was going to be adapted they listed all the things of his that had gotten picked up in like one big batch by a bunch of studios i was like he's done everything <laughs> he has yeah. written everything yeah it's it's insane um yeah I'm, I'm i'm excited for this this up-and-coming creator jeff lemire he's gonna go places for sure yeah this new guy i don't know if you've heard of him jeff lemire he's just <laughs> kind of a little guy he's probably gonna be on the podcast next week probably. actually i'm gonna guarantee that eric has him on the docket so you can hold him accountable for that if he's not <laughs> yeah, on the show i, I love you making <laughs> a big swing you're like yeah I'm, I'm gonna make this promise on somebody else's podcast yeah exactly i, I mean that yeah, you're welcome. There you go. Everybody <laughs> tune in next week and then just review bomb if it doesn't happen. Yeah, no, I'm just, just review bomb me. Just give me all those one stars. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this what I was kind of unprepared for, because watching the watching the trailer for the show, right? I was like, I know nothing about what's happening here, but I vibe with this, whatever this is. Yeah. And what I really dig about the comic is how it drip feeds its world to you. Yeah. And it's all through the eyes of Gus, which is incredibly smart. Gus was brought up in a very um, enclosed and sheltered uh, lifestyle and childhood. And when he is rescued by Mr. Jared and taken out into the world you get to see the world through his eyes and i love when when uh storytellers do that because it allows you to grow alongside your pov character for sure and i i honestly think there's a little bit of nuance with this pov character where the world is consistently compared back against gus mm -hmm. you know you get these panels and the first issue gus runs into a real life deer right and it establishes like Okay, these are two different things. You can see the different light in their eyes, the different kind of intelligence. And then it almost seems like every issue for the first arc, you get these close-ups of like Gus's eyes and then some other character that they're trying to understand. And you get to see not only the world through his eyes, but the world compared to him. And he, I mean, they call it dandy in the book, but like he finds a copy of Bambi, right? Yeah. And the, it a little bit hits you on the head, like, okay, this kid is Bambi. He's innocent. He's sweet. And this world is anything but that. But you're going to see him change the characters around him. And you're going to understand the characters in comparison to Bambi, you know? Yeah, exactly. And, like, you get to see, you know, they even make a joke about it, about this, you know, kind of uh, doe-eyed, deer-in-the-headlights look that he has, like, almost constantly. Anytime mm -hmm. he meets someone, it goes in, back into that eye motif where it's like, oh, this is a new person, and you get the shot of their eyes, and every time it's just Gus, like, wide-eyed, like, this is the first person he's ever seen in his entire life, every single time you meet someone new. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's fascinating 
in the way that, like you said, like we get to see things not just through his eyes, but it's almost like he is looking at that reflection and you get this almost harsher perspective on the people that he meets because of Gus's innocence. And the fact like, you know, there's there's a moment where they go to what is equivalent to like a whorehouse. And Gus mm-hmm. has no idea what this is. He has no idea what's going on. But like, because we are going with Gus on this journey and everyone is acting like, oh yeah, Gus should know what this is. We react harder to those people because it's like, how dare you put my sweet baby boy Gus into this yeah. terrible situation? <laughs> And we really do get to see some horrible people in this story. It's kind of, it's heartbreaking. Yeah, I I was really surprised by the supporting cast, you know? Like, I knew that there was going to be a sort of lone wolf and cub dynamic, right? I I did know that was going to happen. But I wasn't anticipating the post-apocalyptic sci-fi vibes and cast, you know? The scientists and the doctors that show up. I was expecting much more of a fantasy tone from this, which I don't know why that was my expectation, but I think it's just animal people. Like they just yeah. like especially with the prevalence of like D&D and it's like you know, you get to see very often these human animal hybrids and all kinds of fantasy lore. Like I mm-hmm. absolutely had was on that same wavelength too. And so I feel like going in with that expectation, it was almost more jarring when I ran into these evil, awful people, right? When he's in a laboratory getting hosed down, it's really jarring because I'm like, oh, this is like this little fairy person and they're brutalizing the kid, you know? Yeah. And it was just such a smart choice, especially like there, you meet a lot of hybrid kids throughout but to make him a little deer boy was so smart. Like, I honestly don't know there's another animal he could have blended Gus up with that would have elicited the same endearment and response from me so regularly. Agreed. And like, it's very, I mean, making him a deer is also very Midwestern in that same stroke. Yeah. Cause it's like, he, he's got all the makings of, you know, like the lumberjack plaid, the like, he looks very mountain man. And Mm -hmm. with that aesthetic, like a deer makes complete sense. And like, we get to see like a pig girl and like all these other like characters. And yes, while you do get, you know, attached to them, that kind of um, innocent look that Gus kind of brings into every single situation really is sold by the fact that he is, he's part deer. And at least in the first 12 issues, we don't get an explanation on why this is, you know, there's yeah. this, you know, underlying mystery of like, what are the hybrids? Where did they come from? Why are they here? You know, what caused this illness that like made its way through, um, if not the country, the entire world. And it's, I'm just gonna say it's, it's very fascinating to read this book post pandemic. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I feel just, like the book would be going to talk about this. This book would be different if it was written post this pandemic, Agreed. right? Like I read this and I read Why the Last Man a couple of years back. Ooh. And both of those, I'm like, you would be different with the information we have now. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you got society breaking down, right? Like that that does happen, but Yeah, and, yeah. and you've got, you know, the people running around in like tribalistic masks. That's all correct. I see them, mm-hmm. you know, loading up toilet paper into their 
trucks every single time I go grocery shopping. But like the rest of this is a little more fantastical, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah, no, you're right. The, the tribal masks were spot on, but it's honestly crazy how much of it he got right. You know? Yeah. I like, I'm, I'm, constantly accosted by the uh the pig hybrids that like walk around los angeles i mean i don't know why there are so many of them here but like anytime like i'm walking to the coffee bean or something it's like oh there you are you know i'm sure everybody's that your parents started writing their own bible in quarantine as well and teaching you that people abandon math and science just like <laughs> it said in the book so yeah, you know what? We're having a lot of fun here, but there is something to be said about how ridiculous people are in this book to how ridiculous. Sometimes um, reality is stranger than fiction. Yeah. And the amount of stuff, but yeah, it being like a pandemic and there's these like conversations where it's like, we don't know where it came from. We're still kind of tracking it. You know, people are going from, you know, like being in these, um, these scientific facilities. And like, we don't know. There was a, uh, there's a flashback between uh, Jared and his wife and he's talking about, he's like, we got to get out of here you know, they're setting up a safe zone in Chicago. We don't know how it spreads. We don't know if it's airborne. And I'm like, Ooh, that's real. That's 2020 mm -hmm. realness. Like, I don't know how to feel about this. And it's very interesting how, um, you know, with any kind of fiction, whether it's fantasy based science fiction based or whatever, there is a certain amount of reality set into it. And that's what makes stories like these hit so hard. And maybe I would have had a different reaction to it. Like if I had read this when I should have read this, but like <laughs> it hits a little different after the past year for sure. Yeah. I, I also think it's interesting the sort of statement it's making on how society treats certain groups of people worse in times of crisis, you know, like the world all goes to hell and they just decide well, here's a group that's different. Let's tear that apart. You know, we're all angry and upset about what's going on and we need to put a face on that. And so these hybrid kids become the kicking, <laughs> the thing that gets kicked by society, you know, and I, I honestly thought that was prescient, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a good thing that doesn't happen in the real world. Yeah. You know, that would just, that would be terrible. It'd be too much. I mean, yeah. It's, it's honestly a super far out there idea that Lemire came up with. This guy coming up with all these fantastical concepts. I don't know where he gets them from. I can, I can accept deer, but I draw the line at people <laughs> treating other groups poorly. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's fascinating. And like learning through this world and kind of getting the two perspectives, both in uh, modern day as well as flashback and getting to kind of experience I, I guess we could just say like post pandemic world with Gus and then like pre pandemic world through the flashbacks with Jared, it is kind of fascinating to see the two of them and how they deal with the, um, the circumstances of that they find themselves in during those situations. And even though I kind of clocked immediately in that first issue, I'm like, Jared's a bad dude. He doesn't, he, he doesn't have Gus's best interests in mind, which I'm sure was intentional. Like it is, it goes a long way. Those flashbacks do to helping you get into 
his shoes and in a very strange comparison it's like you know you get to see you know um rick from like season six and you're like oh okay you're kind of you're a little strange here from the walking dead like but then you go back and you start seeing his journey from season one and it's like oh oh a lot of people have let you down and you are very guarded now i get this it doesn't excuse what you're doing but i understand it See, and I just, I kept holding out hope. I was like, no, he's going to be nice. The book's telling me that he's not. I believe he's going to be nice. And then he wasn't nice. And But I thought it was so interesting to withhold his backstory until the second arc. You know, yeah. they allow him to be a mysterious, gruff character. So there is just that little bit of ambiguity. And even if the betrayal is a little bit telegraphed, it still drops the floor out from underneath you, right? And you feel those emotions with Gus. You're like, how could he? You guys were friends. You both saved each other at different points. You were partners. You're Mando and Baby Yoda. We know this trope now. This is when we just see Mando drop off Baby Yoda at an Imperial base. And he's like, all right, give me give me my new Beskar armor that I earned. Like Exactly. It is a betrayal. And I think, honestly... There is a certain part of me that like I started off like, no, this guy's bad news. Like, I don't trust him at all. And throughout that initial arc, they are really like slow burning you on this like, well, maybe you're getting doubt. Mm -hmm. You're like, maybe he's cool. Maybe he's all right. And I I just realized I keep calling him Jared. It's Jeopard. Jeopard. Yeah, I just ugh. It's all good, man. So we're just going to start this whole podcast over. All right. Um, yeah. So just... welcome to, no, we're just going to, we're going to write, you can tell Jeff Lemire next week when he's on yes, the show he comes to the go back and change I'm, the name back change, to Jared. Change the name retroactively. That's right. And get his name's him Jared to, Jeopard. His name is, <laughs> his name is Jared Jeopard forever now. Double J. Uh, it's got his, that Stanley alliteration. It's his perfect. His name is Jameson. And if you complete <laughs> the whole thing, it's. We get it, but, but he no, wants pictures of a spider hybrid boy. Uh, I, I think I'm sure we've seen that in a in a um, Spider Verse issue. I have to somewhere. believe we've seen it somewhere. But like, it's it's fascinating when you think about like some of I'm just like scrolling through it on Comicsology right now as mm-hmm. we're like going through this, and like I don't know what issue it is but it's the issue where the cover is just like gus's head on a trophy thing and Mm -hmm. it starts off with uh jeopard and gus like full speed riding this horse in like towards these two buses and it's so dynamic i love it okay it's the final issue of the uh of the first arc and like it just starts you off right away just like in a high stakes situation and i love the pacing of that like jeff lemire's always fantastic when it comes to structure of a story and also with naming characters obviously unless they're not named jared and then they need to you know be changed but like i just I love the pacing of this story. Like we talked about like kind of drip feeding you with Jeopard's story with the world watching, you know, Gus kind of slowly lose the innocence that he has essentially grown up with. And 
watching them get i thought it was going to take a much longer time for them to get to the quote-unquote right? reserve i thought that was like issue 30 was when yeah. they were going to get there i was like this is gonna be a great oh nope first arc all right this book is different than i thought it was gonna be <laughs> yeah i thought it was gonna be a, a road trip book all the way through and i was like okay where well, i'm i'm settled in for this i love road trip stories and mm -hmm. then like you said like end of the first arc like he is brought over he already has like this like strange uh conversation with the ghost of his dad question mark who knows and like yeah, i want to know more about those visions that he has throughout Same. the book i want to know why this kid has prophetic visions about things exactly and i'm like i i want to know more about his dad because his dad is a crackpot and we find this out like at the end but we don't know a how he came into possession of gus b why you know why he has him or what the what he was you know trying to accomplish with having gus grow up in this sheltered environment and like it's got so many questions and i love it i love that for all the story that you go through with how quickly the story moves along in these first 12 issues by the end of it there is still so much that is unanswered yeah i i honestly think going back to the data and the sheltered environment i think that there's a really interesting conversation from lemire going on about moving from the midwest out into the world a little bit i mean i some background on me i grew up in utah i lived a little bit in missouri and i just trekked across the nation to move to new york city and so like reading this book that is a love letter to the midwest as i was driving through the midwest like this is really really interesting and i I think there's some truth to the world being a lot scarier place outside of this little rural area. Like, yeah, I grew up in a place where I never had to lock my car my whole life. Right. Like that's something I have to remember to do now. That sounds wonderful. And, and you are going to need to remember. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've like triple checked every time I parked somewhere. Um, so I felt for Gus a little bit where he, he consistently wants to believe the best in people and the world is consistently being a little bit harsher to him than his expectations, you know? But also there is, the statement isn't just the world outside of the Midwest is scary. It's that like, that kindness can be carried through, right? The last scene in issue 12 of Gus sharing his crunch bar with the other kids that are terrified, this shows like maybe his purity is going to spread throughout the story a little bit. I don't think the story is about him being battered down. I think it's going to be about him fixing the people around him, you know? Yeah, and I, and I love the idea of that because like we see so often in these post-apocalyptic stories that you take these characters, especially like they'll always be like a supporting character who's like, oh, I just want the world to be better. And over the course of the story, you watch them just get beaten down until they, mm -hmm. you know, shoot their first enemy and you watch their innocence drain away and i hope like you said it that he keeps a little bit of that hope alive because it is kind of terrifying when he meets the other hybrid kids for the first time like he's in the kennel i think they call it and he's like oh like i he's never met another hybrid kid and like seeing all these different kids not like some of them are 
quote unquote intelligent like he is some of them are quote unquote simple and like some of them are more you know animal than human and you get to watch him figure out like oh like the world is not just like dangerous but these things that i thought were true about myself are a lot more complicated than i thought they were yeah and it's it's interesting telegraphing to make that scene where he meets the other hybrids all of them are a decent amount more grotesque than him yes. no matter where they fall on like the human to animal scale he is certainly the least grotesque thing in that room and finding out later in the series that he may be the original hybrid there's some intentionality to him whereas like nature took its course yep. with everything else that's going on was really interesting to reflect back on. And it was the kind of reveal that you're like, wait, what? And then you're like, oh, okay, yeah, I could see that, you know? Yeah, because like they they establish pretty early on that there's something like different about Gus mm-hmm. from not just like the way that he is um sheltered and all this stuff, but like he has the least amount of like hybrid features. Like looking at the other kids, uh, first off, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. Like they look not just in features gr- more grotesque, but they're all basically wearing like potato sacks, which absolutely does not help them. Like if they were yeah. all dressed like Gus, I think it would be, a, it might be a different story. But mm-hmm. like the fact that they're like, some of them can speak, there's like, there's this poor kid, this poor kid, Bobby, who just like, all he can say is like me, Bobby um gus like it's it's incredibly sad and we get you know again just i keep saying it but it's true like we keep getting like drip fed these little instances on gus like oh he's apparently nine years old when the uh when the illness kind of started really kicking into high gear eight years ago so it's not possible because everyone attributed the hybrid kids to the illness and like we get little things here and there about his dad and the fact that he never met his mom and like all of this stuff leading to that reveal of oh you don't have a belly button which i have to say was an incredibly uncomfortable scene the more that this dr singh who we know much less about than I'm comfortable with being in the situation that they're in is just like grabbing at Gus to like show, I guess the audience that he doesn't have a (laughs) belly button. Um, It is, it's jarring when you get this idea of like, Oh, wait a second. He is special. He's not just like another hybrid kid. Yeah. And again, I think that goes back to what you were talking about earlier with Lemire's pacing of a page and of a story right every page turn reveal worked so well in this book so i i tweeted one today when he first arrives at the kennel or the facility they inject him with something right and then the next page it just shows some hooves walking by and i was like did they just turn him into a deer like what just happened and you turn the page again and it pans out and shows you what's going on and so again with this doctor like ripping at Gus's clothes. You're like, Oh my gosh, what's going to be on that next page. And the reveal is always shocking, but it always works. Yeah. Cause it's like there, there is a certain, and I think, you know, 
being so i don't want to say desensitized but like so familiar with like the tropes of really dark post-apocalyptic stories and having already Mm -hmm. dealt with sexual abuse and like stuff like that very adult style themes you get this inclination when he's like reaching at him and trying to tear his clothes off it's like oh i don't know if i want to continue with this scene i don't know what's Mm going to happen here and then to place a an earth-shattering reveal for not just gus but the audience as well in that place where you are the most vulnerable and you are like almost hyper aware of like the actions and what everyone's saying in the scene is incredibly smart and it really does speak to jeff lemire as a storyteller and it's fascinating to see where he picks and chooses to put these kind of reveals well it makes the the experience raw and it makes it feel as violent as it would feel to gus right because you're gearing up and getting tense for a scene that you absolutely don't want to be a part of where like this reveal could have been played in a lot different way, but it puts you right in Gus's shoes and it makes this reveal that is going to be jarring for him. It is going to be like, that would feel violent and violating. Right. And the story plays with that to make you feel those emotions when you otherwise could have glanced right over that and missed the emotions of what Gus was going through. So right top tier stuff (laughs) yeah man it's and it's interesting because i i i want to pivot here for a second just because we have spent a lot of time like talking about the perspective of gus when i think just as um impactful and heartbreaking in this story is uh jared jeppard's story you know uh getting his his kind of reactions to everything there's a certain amount of um a forlorn acceptance with him from the very beginning he is just there to do a job he is like just making his way through life he is taking this kid to this super shady facility to get the bones of his wife so that he can give her a proper burial and it's heartbreaking when you get the backstory with him And even more so once you realize what he's done and how he kind of deals with that. Like he goes, he gets drunk, he picks fights with these guys who just kick the hell out of him. And it's very sad. It is very sad watching this man just kind of crumple into nothing and except like, oh, you know, I'm ready. I'm ready to die because I buried my wife and I can, you know, die happy. And to make that choice to be like, after he's you know brought brought more or less back to health by the ladies who he helped earlier in the story and he like we get that parallel scene of he's like i'm gonna go gonna go kill everybody and you see this you know fire lit under him again where he can just be like i am going to go save this kid it's it's really cool to see this character who has lost hope because of gus find it again which is really cool yeah, I loved just the layered parallelism of his story of the current timeline with Gus is all about him taking a little hybrid child to this place, knowing full well what it did. And then his flashback scene is him unknowingly doing that exact same thing. Yeah. And then his like his present day arc again after he drops up Gus 
is him deciding to go back to save a little hybrid kid from that facility. It's like his whole story circles around this facility and the, how he was just as much of a victim of what happened there as he has made guess, you know? And so that layered storytelling. And again, I don't want to just keep saying Jeff Lemire is really good at his job, but (laughs) just how it is and how that information is doled out. You, you get these little reveals. I remember the first time his wife was like, I have to tell you something. And then it went away from it for like four or five pages. Yeah. I was like, absolutely not. You're going to go back and tell me <laughs> what's going on. And it feels like there's something like that every couple issues. And all the scenes and all the storylines, they, they rhyme in a really satisfying way. You know, you, you want to see them through to their conclusion and it feels like you have to do a little bit of digging to see the themes and the motifs, but they're there and they're very intentional. Yeah, absolutely. And there is no, what I love about good storytelling that Jeff Lemire does, cause he's good at his job. If we haven't made that clear yet, um, is that there is no wasted time when it comes mm-hmm. to this story, everything matters. You know, there are moments where it's like, okay, can we can relax, you know, there's here for a character moment instead of like a narrative moment, but even those still matter. They are important for the narrative, they're important for the development of these characters. And like watching this story progress and this world slowly start to fill in the blanks throughout these first 12 issues is amazing. And like getting that reveal of um, of Gus's dad being this like religious fanatic, you know, we had just like you said, like they mentioned throughout the book or throughout this, you know, run so far that like, oh, yeah, you know, God, this God, that, you know, very religious, a lot of religious overtones, which, again, you know, having a um, being having that background of like a a midwestern religious like my mom was born and raised on a farm in indiana like i was born catholic Mm. like there's all of that like that subtext that you just kind of especially if you are from kind of that region like you could just come to expect like that's like Mm. okay i can expect this from this kind of story and in every i i want to say with very few exceptions, almost every single post-apocalyptic story has some kind of religious fanaticism involved in it. And seeing that and hearing those terms, it's like, okay, yeah, he was very religious. You know, he talked about, you know, Gus's dad said that God spoke through him and, you know, God, you know, sent out this plague that purged all the people who followed him and left the sinners and all this stuff. And then you get that reveal that, oh, He's writing his own Bible. Oh, he is, you know, passing judgment on all these people. And he's like quoting his own scripture that he just wrote into this Bible. It's like, and I, I don't like using this term, but I think it, it fits here, you know, subverting your expectations about that and about like what you think, you know, and what you have come to expect with stories like this and kind of flipping it at it's on its head is what Jeff Lemire does best with these kind of stories. Yeah. And again, I, I really like that. It definitely, I, I really, this book just made me realize that I'm a chump basically that wants to believe that people are good, (laughs) you know, like Jeopard came along and I was like, going to be a good guy. 
Nope. All right. The dad, I was like, well, well, the dad, he's probably, nope, also not good. So if like book two, (laughs) Gus commits a hate crime, like I can be, I'm not going to be ready, but also I won't be shocked based on my track record thus far. Um, Plus, you know, it's, 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 it's a product of his environment. We can't, you know, yeah, he's from the nine. Like, what do you, (laughs) we all commit hate crimes when we're nine, right? We all do these things. Somebody soundbite that. No, don't soundbite. No one soundbite that. Get that. Save it. 10 years from now, Eric's (laughs) going to be famous for voice acting and you're going to have just a little silver bullet. Hey, so we uh we saw something or we heard, we heard something the other day. Could you just uh, explain what you meant by this? Yeah. Uh, super cool on the press tour for you. Could you explain everyone commits hate crimes when they're 9? Just once more will, from the top. I will not be taking questions at this time and I will not ever be taking <laughs> questions about that very unique sound bite. But um <laughs> I like with with the religious under and overtones of this. Again, I like that Lemire is telegraphing the the idea of a new Adam, right? Yeah. So like in the in the crazy ramblings of Gus's dad, he calls Gus the new Adam. And so and then the story begins to play that out, right? You find out that he was created by a mysterious force. He was the progenitor of this new race that's going, based on how the story's going so far, it looks like they're going to inherit the earth, right? He leaves his little peaceful garden to go out into the dark and dreary world. So, like, mm. it's really interesting to have the dad frame that for you so well and sort of give this almost religious significance to Gus's journey throughout the book. Right. I thought was really, really fun. Yeah, and it's, you know, they mention it, um, during his his ramblings and everything, talking about, you know, the, the here it is, uh, he, his dad says, and he blessed this very boy and called him his new Adam. And from his rib, a new race would rise up and inherit this world left behind by its rotted evil landlords. So mm-hmm. I am very excited to see, you know, when the other shoe drops about that rib thing, because if you were not aware when it comes to religion, the you know, specifically Christianity, it's believed that Adam was created and from, oh no. Yeah, so, all right, okay, everyone, I can use my degree that was useless, Hebrew Bible. Here we I are. I decided Here to we get are. a degree yes. in this. All this right. Is, this is specifically the only reason that I brought the... Dallas on for this week. This is why I forced him to cut his moving short to record a podcast. Exactly. I live in New Jersey now. <laughs> he forced me to cut moving short. He said, no, you, sorry. Can't He's like, you're almost there. Almost to New York. We got to, I'm going to cut this off at the knees. Now, now you live in Jersey and simple Midwest me was like, all right. Yep. I'll sell you the rights to all my songs too. Perfect. <laughs> $5 a song. Lucky me. <laughs> um, But yeah, so like, with within the the text of the bible adam's made from the dust of the earth right and then using his rib or his flesh is what it says in hebrew that eve is made and then the rest of i mean her name's literally life in hebrew which is always a funny thing they're dirt boy in life so sorry dirt to ruin that for boy anybody in life that's coming literally their to, names are coming to image next year i know it's like shark boy and lava girl 1.0 but <laughs> dirt boy in life 
it's dirt boy and life girl when i read that i was like huh this book's funny um but <laughs> this this book's funny he said about the bible <laughs> and religious texts i there can't wait I for dirt i can't wait for dirt boy and life girl to come to valiant next year that is going to be a fantastic comedy yeah exactly played by vin diesel in the movie <laughs> he he plays life girl he does yeah and then dwayne the rock johnson plays dirt boy because <laughs> yes. he has to be in every single easy. comic book property dirt boy eventually grows up into a rock it makes sense i'm here exactly yeah and so you have this idea of the original and then the i mean if you want to get into critique the the one next to it and then the one that the text makes subordinate which almost is what happens in this book right with the the rest of the hybrids not being quite like gus right maybe i'm getting too in my head about stuff but you get to see this whole race and this whole world come out of something that was very intentionally created and then used to create everything else beside it. Yeah. And I, and I don't think, I mean, from where we're at in the story, having only consumed 12 issues, I don't think anything is off the table at this point, <laughs> just considering like where I thought the story was going to go before I started reading it to where I am after 12 issues, nothing is off the table here. There is no yeah. part where I'm like, no, that's really out of the realm of possibility. Like, it's it's so cool that this world is very much grounded in a type of reality. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, extraneous circumstances show that literally anything could happen in this story, which I love about grounded, you know, stories like this that are grounded in some kind of realism, but have these fantastical elements to them. And I love that for me, Jeff Lemire has proven that he can introduce anything into a story and make it work, right? So one of my favorite series of his Descender, in the second to last volume, he decided to be like, by the way, in this high high sci-fi future robot story, there's magic now. Just by the way, just over there in the corner, magic moon, we'll get to that. And I was like, what on earth is he doing with that? And now there's a whole story... (laughs) And everybody's arcs are paying off this whole magic idea. It's like, the guy can do no wrong in my book. Honestly, if you, again, Gus commits hate crimes like every nine-year-old next issue, I'm like, maybe it's going somewhere. I don't know. Okay, now we can soundbite this for Dallas when he gets really, really famous off of his podcast. Oh, perfect. Tit for tat here. I'm keeping track. I'm keeping track. See, my plan is just to go the Tarantino route and be openly a freak and terrifying. <laughs> Get open and terrifying first. <laughs> and so everybody's like, well, I mean, we, we knew. We knew the whole time. <laughs> I, I'm the next time that I go on your podcast, I'm gonna have some questions for Lexi. When oh, like, when did you know you when did you know your brother was a monster? <laughs> Very early. Should like there was this one time where I broke one of his bionicles right before we moved, and that's when I knew. Okay, but which Bionicle? Because there are certain circumstances where that would be an appropriate response. It was, I don't remember the names anymore, but it was the one that like rode this dinosaur thing. I remember that the set came out and yes. it had this big dinosaur Bionicle and it broke right before we left and I couldn't find all the pieces. And so I can never rebuild it completely. Bionicles moved and used like, to be, I feel like they used to be way more complicated than they are now. Like they, oh. they're just like mega blocks now. Yeah, I mean, I did not have the prefrontal cortex to be putting together this stuff. <laughs> they were like, all right, this thing has 1,600 pieces, and you're seven. And I was like, what? And it's like five pieces are the same piece, but only two of them actually fit. Exactly. Like, they're like, to... oh, 
See, that one is a millimeter off. You stupid idiot. You're like, you should have measured. You should have okay. measured. What's wrong with you? You don't even have depth perception yet. Your eyes are pointing in different directions. <laughs> Simple moron. It's like, okay, great. Thank you. <laughs> like, the one. names are all vowels, and you're going to have to memorize them. <laughs> Uh-oh. And you're also going to need to watch the movie and uh, play the little point-and-click online game to know any of the backstory or lore for exactly this. put the lore together based on the snippets that you've seen <laughs> and, and play, you have to watch together. every commercial featuring these to get the full story exactly <laughs> it's genius <laughs> marketing in a way it sounds like a marvel comic book frankly a martyr, <laughs> a yes absolutely a post-2000s marvel comic book absolutely or like a, a claremont run something where it's like oh you missed that panel Damn, that sucks. Oh, That's a man. whole story arc now. You, you didn't you notice stupid. that the bag that Scott was holding when he left was green, but not like a navy, not like a forest green, but like an olive green. In see, we were telling issues, you're you be real mad, and you're not going to know what's going on. See, we were telling you that green was the same color as the phoenix green, and he's going to become the phoenix <laughs> in 2010. You simple, simple moron. And I'm just there like, bionicles are all I've got in my brain right now. <laughs> You're like, I I have maxed out my hard drive with bionicle <laughs> lore. I can't tell you this, the capital of Nebraska, but I can tell you three generations back who had the mask of light and who didn't. <laughs> 200 megabytes of storage up here right now. And all of it is bionicle. It's shrinking all the time. <laughs> No, I have less than that now. Yeah, same. I'm like, I'm talking down to that kid. He was reading book series a week, and I'm, we're talking about a picture book right now. It's a good <laughs> yeah. picture book, but a very well made picture book, I must <laughs> say. Yes, but um, kind of wrapping up the story and something you mentioned uh, mentioned earlier about the final scene of this first twelve issue run, um, having. Uh, Gus share his crunch bar with the other two kids. There's something going on with these crunch bars, man. And I and not just because they're using pre 2000s crunch wrappers like there are no crunch bars that I've had that look like this. And I would know because as a child, that was the only candy bar that I was even remotely interested before I had any taste whatsoever when it came to chocolate bars. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I, I think there's something going on with them because like anytime that there's some kind of like stress or duress or anything, boom, there's a crunch bar. Like, I don't know what it is. I mean, like the name of the book also comes from his interaction with a crunch bar. You yeah, know, we definitely have our tinfoil hats on right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> welcome to Conspiracy Hour with welcome. Eric and Dallas. You just listened to Bionicle Minute, and welcome to Conspiracy Hour, <laughs> the show within a show within a show. Coming soon on NPR. <laughs> this sounds like something that the CW would pick up. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> uh, either either CW or like College Humor. That's like that's something that would just be on there. Yeah, yeah. That no one watches, but somehow goes on for nineteen seasons. Yep, that's the one. <laughs> But yeah, I do like, think you're I'm, onto something. I am. I'm very interested because there's a lot of dangling threads, like mm -hmm. at the end of this. Like the the twelfth issue ends off of a cliffhanger. Like you know, um, 
Jeopard's gonna go try and rescue Gus from this facility. Gus is like in captivity and Sing is a total creep and now believes that Gus may have caused the uh the disease. It is there are so many plates spinning. And in stories like these, you have to you have to walk a very fine line because i think very easily with all the concepts and the characters that you have to keep track of and the stories and the relationships it could very easily be like oh and you're gonna end it and he's not even rescued him yet nah, i'm not gonna i'm not gonna read on but like the second that i you know flipped through the the final page on comiXology and it just started showing me concept art i was like no give me the next issue you cowards like it's it's so good it really is and we do have a little bit the benefit of hindsight that i've heard this ends well you know they were nice yeah we're not gonna get to the very end and be like well that sucked great premise but man they really dropped the ball on that one like i have one of the few things i have heard about this is that it really nails the ending so awesome it makes me want to read more and figure out all these threads because at once the story feels massive and huge and like i need answers to everything but it really it has two main characters thus far which is really interesting so we have like emotional arcs for two people that we have to see to a conclusion but then this massive world that we need to see to some sort of end you know so like there's simultaneously so much but like just enough to focus on that i'm confident it'll stay good throughout agreed uh, i'm like they're, the two characters are at very different points not just in their lives but also in their narrative journeys and mm-hmm. watching how they've grown just over the course of this 12 issues makes me really excited to like see where they go from there because like we have at least twice this amount to look forward to after this so mm-hmm. it's really exciting and i hope that if nothing else, the tone and the vibe and the um, the feeling that this comic gives, the Netflix adaptation is able is able to do even like half of it. Yeah, I'm really interested in the adaptation. I went back and I rewatched the trailer after reading these first twelve issues, and there was still a lot of stuff I didn't recognize. So I'm interested to see how they choose to adapt and remix the story a little bit. Yeah. I wonder because we've we've praised through this whole thing the timing and the pace that Lemire set for all these things. Yeah. So there's a little part of me that's like I but it works for a comic book, you know? Right. It works to go back and just have a whole arc that's basically flashback. Mm-hmm. Whereas in a TV show, you know that they're going to overlay those things. If not just like cram it all into like one episode. It's like, this is the flashback episode. Yeah. So I'm definitely floating high on like the Invincible adaptation train. And (laughs) so I am hopeful for Sweet Tooth. But we'll see. I want to see more indie comics adapted. Things that have set beginning, middle, and ends. I think that's a really, really fertile field for all these streaming services to come into. Yeah. It's like, I want this to do well and I want people to watch it. Yeah, and I mean, we've gone through, like, the golden age of, like, DC animation, and, like, we're still, I feel like we're slowly easing out of the golden age of, like, Marvel films. We're heading Mm -hmm. into kind of the next stage of where that's going to be. 
hopefully with Silver Age, we're going to get a lot of more uh, wacky cosmic stories, which is where it kind of seems like it's going. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think we're slowly easing our way into the golden age of like indie comic adaptations. Like there's so many going on right now. Like just talking about, you know, Jeff Lemire, we have a, a Gideon Falls adaptation like that's like we're getting we've got the boys we've got invincible we've got jupiter's legacy and we've got like (laughs) all of these really good and some fine uh adaptations for indie comics right now and like it's getting really exciting to see you know indie comics really getting onto that main stage and i think it's it has a lot to do with like the path kind of being paved by stuff like the marvel cinematic universe and dc and all that stuff to like open the door for them but i'm excited that they're jumping on it and they're and we're getting more indie comics representation in our superhero adaptations and i think it's a healthy place for these adaptations to move as well i think i mean in the news a little bit this last week have been reports from like ed brubaker and rick remender about their feelings of not seeing anything, any sort of payoff to them for their stories being adapted, right? Whereas you get to see Corey Walker, Ryan Otley, and Robert Kirkman selling hundreds of thousands of copies of Invincible off the back of that show, right? Because it is easy to read all of Invincible. You can buy the three compendiums and there it is. Or apparently I learned this last week from you. There's a capes trade paperback to go read. So they're going to get some money from me. I am still over the (laughs) moon about capes guys. Like if you, if you aren't listening to our book club every Friday, a cheap plug here, like go listen to it. Cause it's fun. But like capes, man, that's all I'm going to say. Capes. Mm -hmm. So good. And so like, I like to see these indie properties, released and do well because there are more direct sales that come into the Western comic book world. And it shows people that there are accessible stories. There are like, I'll be the first to admit Spider-Man, my favorite character. He's complicated as hell, right? Like, I don't know where on earth to tell somebody to start with that. Yeah. But it's really easy to hand somebody. Okay. So this is my podcast. Now Eric has been (laughs) kicked from the show. He's gone. I have the soundbite. Rest in peace, Eric Kazana. Good luck. (laughs) (laughs) But like with something like Sweet Tooth, I can hand somebody this first book and be like, surprise, you're addicted to comic books now. And they can explore (laughs) the world from there, you know? Yeah, man. Well, and that's what's so good about having like the creator-owned realm is that there's so many different comics in in the indie comic sphere like when you go to dc when you go to marvel they're superheroes which is great it's Mm -hmm. cape shit i love cape shit it is that Mm -hmm. is my go-to for this kind of medium but like it's cool to be able to say okay you like super or you want to get into a superhero comic there's invincible you want to get into like a post-apocalyptic science fiction semi-horror you know 
lone wolf and cub deal you got sweet tooth you know we've got this incredible comic that just started off recently called the good asian for a detective noir comic fix like there are so many awesome indie comics that are just like really coming to the forefront right now and it makes me excited as someone who is primarily a big two reader to like get into stuff and really kind of get your get your hands dirty in some of the best comics that you may not be aware of if you're a really only a big two reader yeah and i think it's exciting for me because i feel like i have come into comic books at the tail end of a lot of the big creator-owned booms right there was the 90s and 2000s vertigo boom where you got stuff like preacher you got stuff like sandman scalped that people adored and then you sort of had the 2010s image boom that gave saga that invincible started before but went through a lot of this and i think there's really great stuff coming out from all of the indie publishers but with these shows doing so well i think more people will want to come and write comic books they'll want to write their invincible they'll want to write their sweet tooth and I think it'll show the companies that there's room to green light these things. You know, if Sweet Tooth sells like hotcakes after this, I very well could see DC remodeling to try and get a little bit of that vertigo cachet back, right? That they yeah. decided to abandon a few years ago. So well, when they I'm made excited. the announcement that they were like shuttering vertigo, it was like, guys, what are you doing? I like Black Label just as much as the next guy, but like, come on. You mean and- Bat Label? <sighs> DC bat label. Yes. Where you can see uh, the bat dong. Oh God. And that's, yeah, that's, that's not even the worst part of, part of the line. I mean, that was the best part of the line. Wait, what? What were we talking about? Uh, um, <laughs> I would say that if they didn't retroactively make all-star Superman, a black label book with the latest reprint. Oh, it makes me so mad when <laughs> I go back. Like I wanted to get in somebody, a uh, new frontier. And I was like, no, oh, they yeah, did not. Okay. They did. It has no. Black Label on New Frontier now. New Frontier? And I didn't get it just almost out of principle. I was like, ugh. Oh, God. Yeah. I just expect it like if there's something that's going to have a Black Label, you know, imprint on it, it's going to be featuring Joker or Harley Quinn. Like at this, <laughs> at this point, it's their label. Like that's what it's made for. Yeah. And like the forays that they've gone into that don't involve those characters like a superman year one hurt me in my soul that and book was bad yeah i'm still i'm still angry about it i have to go to therapy for this yeah i dropped it after the first issue so i dodged a little bit of the hurt you dodged a lot of hurt yeah the first issue was the best issue of that entire series and there was only yeah. three issues <laughs> see I'm but they're angry there were a few really good things that have come out of that as well, though. True. Like Wonder Woman, Dead Earth. Very Daniel good. Warren Johnson does not miss. Never Arlene, has, never will. Never will. Um, I'm really looking forward to James Tynan's like, Good House on the Hill or whatever it is. Yeah. That's coming that out in really like a week. So, so there is good stuff. It's just, I wish there was a vertigo to go to. You know? It was yeah. like, this is what this tone's going to be. You don't have... And the book doesn't have to compete with Batman, Joker, and Harley Quinn to stay in print. Right. You know, because as great as Sweet Tooth is, there's no way in hell it's going to sell as well as Batman does. Yeah. And so 
when they're both on the same label, they have to compete and it's no fun. Right. And it's, you know, there's such a, there's such a push now for like creator owned stuff. Like you always hear like, oh yeah, you know, I'm writing Batman, but I've also got like three creator owned books that might be coming out this year. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it makes almost too much sense to be like, you have all of these people who are like exclusively signed to your company make an imprint where they can do their own creator stuff and you can still like keep them on the payroll while giving them freedom to do their own thing and anyone who's a fan of that will draw them into your main stuff that you like like it's yeah. it's frustrating just like knowing how much could be out there especially because like again i am a primarily big two guy but anytime mm -hmm. i've really gotten into like an indie book i've loved it like even the ones that i'm that i you know have to be told like hey you need to check this out like for instance radiant black radiant black has been fantastic so far like if you're not reading radiant black you need to read it just don't just Issue four is a lot, but like, hold, hold on. It's gotta be going somewhere. It, uh, I hope so. I, cause I'm anyway, this isn't a radio black <laughs> podcast. Not yet. Anyway. So like, it's, I, I'm very excited for more indie comics to come out. I'm more, I'm really excited to see more indie comic adaptations to come out. And like you mentioned, I hope that after this show drops and it becomes this incredible thing that this book sells out because we've seen it with a lot of stuff recently, you know, the boys, we've seen that stuff sell out. We've seen anything having to do with vision of the Scarlet, Witch sell out. We have seen like invincible. It's hard to find those compendiums now, unless you go through like skybound specifically, which you can, and you should, because it's incredible. Mm -hmm. It's invincible, but like, it's, it's exciting to be in this space where you're like, I really want to see indie comics succeed. And then they do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I want more books like this. I want a book that I open up and I say, Oh, this is weird. And then <laughs> I get to keep going, you know, yeah. because I love radiant black. I love that it's being pitched as the next invincible. And that has some sort of cachet to it. When mm -hmm. I saw that on the cover, I was like, wow, look at that. Look at you indie go. book being pitched as another indie book. Wow. Look at you go, Mr. Um, Kyle Higgins. Go for it. Exactly. And that, but I mean, something like The Many Deaths of Lila Starr that Rom V is doing right now reminds me of Sweet Tooth. It reminds me of Vertigo. Yeah. And I want to see, there's a difference between Vertigo and Image, honestly. Yes. And I want to see some more Vertigo. And this book just made me want to go back and read some other Vertigo stuff that I may have overlooked, like yeah, Sandman. Same. I've never read Sandman, and it's my my deep shame. Okay, Dallas? Same. So, like, <laughs> I now have to make sure that this podcast doesn't actually get released, this specific episode, just mm -hmm. because of all the things that have been said between <laughs> uh, two friends across two different, basically across the country at this point. Yeah. Um, He's he's now an East Coast boy, ladies and gentlemen. And I'm walking here. I'm walking here, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> we're 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 gonna have to have some uh, some really manufactured East Coast West Coast arguments after a certain Perfect. point. Yeah, it'll be fun. 
yeah, it'll be great. I'll I'll get the talking points for sure. It's gonna be great. But uh, as we kind of wrap up here, do you have any final thoughts on Sweet Tooth? And I know I'm sure we already know the answer to this, but will you be continuing on to finish the series? Absolutely. Um, I'm pretty sure the compendium comes out, if not this week when this drops, the next. And so I will be picking that up. I think anybody that listened to this and thought it sounded cool should pick that up. And do what we just talked about for the last 10 minutes. Support indie comics and show that we want more of them. I I want to be a patron of indie comics. And I think you should too. That's that's my only thought. I I, I couldn't say that better. Like that's it's indie comics deserve to be supported. Support your local indie comics, support your local comic book shop if you can't buy indie comics on comiXology make sure that these creators know that we support them we love them and we want them to succeed um sweet tooth is awesome i am going to be reading this to the end uh maybe maybe one day we will come back one day i will come back and we will we will talk about this on this podcast or another who knows no one knows which way the wind blows no one knows, but we'll we'll read it. Maybe we'll just obscure tweet it and it'll be we can do one of those Claremont things where you have to have started with this podcast and then end on a Twitter thread somewhere like two years from now. Yes. To continue the conversation. That's that's actually, the release plan. Actually we're and we're gonna put the last part of that on Clubhouse so that you can only you, you have to go across three different mediums to really get a conclusion to this. And then we're going to put the last bit behind a paywall somewhere. <laughs> yes. We're, we're, we're going to put it on uh, YouTube premium is where we're gonna, exactly. They get another Twitter premium that they tried to do for I 15 can't seconds that they're doing that. That's come on, man. Twitter fans, you know, <laughs> I am tipping no one on Twitter. I am tipping no one. You can make a sound bite out of that. No one will get my tips on Twitter, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you so much for being on this. It's always a pleasure, man. If our listeners want to um, follow you, follow your journey through comics and all that stuff, where can they find you? All right. I am on Twitter entirely too often at Dallas underscore comics. Don't follow me. Don't encourage me. I need to stop <laughs> that. But you should follow my podcast at the Comics Collective on Twitter. We release an episode every Thursday. So your Wednesday, you can listen to Geek Explained, and Thursday, you can hop right on over and listen to the Comics Collective. It's that classic podcast one-two punch. It you just it's what you need. It's what you need to get through the week. It's really all it is. It's just that Jared and then I just forgot his last name, Jeppard. It's that See? Jared Jeppard combo. <laughs> Is that Jared Shepard combo? That is going to be a thing forever now. <laughs> Jared Shepard combo. Uh, the classic Jared Shepard. <laughs> Welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown. This is the segment of our show where I talk about the comics that I think you should be picking up this week. Whether it's at your local comic book shop, a comiXology, or however you get your comics, these are the ones I think you should definitely take a look at. But before we get into this week's books, we got to take a look back at last week's books with the Geek Explained Pick of the Week of last week. And I got to tell you, it was a tough, it was some tough competition last week. Some really good comics came out last week, and it was very tough to pick 
just one, but out of all of them, out of all the amazing books that came out last week, I had to go with Strange Adventures number 10, written by Tom King with art by Mitch Jarrods and Doc Shaner. This book... Oh, this book is so good. We're, we only have two issues left of this, and they are putting out a story for the ages. We wanted answers. This issue gave us answers. I'm not going to spoil it for you, but I cannot wait to pick up the last two issues of the series. It is so freaking good. But that's last week's books. This week, we have once again over a dozen books here for you to talk about. Now, I will say... Quick disclaimer, uh, most of these are tie-ins, so if you don't want to pick up all of these, you know, we've got two kind of major events going on over at Marvel right now. This week is very Marvel-heavy. So if you're not into the Heroes Reborn stuff, then you don't need to pick up all of these, but I've been really enjoying the Heroes Reborn stuff so far, so I will be picking this up. And also, as we alluded to last week, the Hellfire Gala is this month. Um, there's, I believe, three books coming out each week of this month, kind of leading into the Reign of Ten, Reign of X, whatever you want to call it. Um, so I'm going to be putting them on the list, the Hellfire Gala tie-ins, but feel free to skip these if you're just like picking up marauders like I usually am I'm gonna be getting all of them because I hate my wallet but <laughs> um let's go ahead and without further ado dive into this list speaking of hellfire galatians we're kicking things off with hellions number 12 this is written by zeb wells with art by steven segovia and this is going to be covering the uh the problem children of Krakoa. I'm not someone who's been following uh, the Hellions book, but the little glimpses that I got of them during uh, Ten of Swords, they seem really fun. Plus, they have some of the most unique costume designs for the Hellfire Gala, so I'm really looking forward to this. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Who invited the Hellions to the Hellfire Gala? Who thought it was a good idea to invite the antisocial Hellions to the fanciest bash of the year? Oh, no one. They weren't invited, but they showed up anyway. Yeah, that sounds about right. Hellfire Gala tie-in. So this is the first of this week's Hellfire Gala tie-ins. Um... Just to give you, if you haven't been following along with the Hellions book, the team, who is kind of directed by Mr. Sinister, consists of Psylocke, we've got Havoc, Wild Child, among other very just rogue, roguish people, I would say. Um, it looks like it's going to be fun. The cover's really fun, so I'm looking forward to seeing what they... Uh, what they bring to the table when it comes to Hellfire Gala. Next up, we have Suicide Squad number four, speaking of roguish types, written by Robbie Thompson with art by Eduardo Ponsica. I, um, I have to mention, because they are currently doing a crossover between Suicide Squad and Teen Titans Academy, I have been very confused for the last couple issues of this crossover, that being Suicide Squad number three and, um, uh, what's it called? Teen Titans Academy number three. Uh, but now it seems like the timelines have converged to the end of Teen Titans Academy number two, which is odd, an odd way to really just uh, to format this timeline wise. But we're here. We're at the present day. We're going to be continuing on with this. And we've got some intrigue going forward. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. 
Task Force X missed its opportunity to extract a new speedster from Teen Titans Academy, but they return with a prize just as valuable, Red X. But the tables quickly turn when it becomes apparent the squad's newest target may have planned his own capture. Now hunted by X, the squad begins to drop one by one, leaving team leader Amanda Waller scrambling for bargaining chips. So that sounds fun. Uh, The cover also shows Red X going after Amanda Waller. This is going to be interesting for sure. I like that they're building up the mystery of Red X. We'll just have to see where they go with it, and hopefully... That is it. It is a satisfying reveal whenever things get uh, get shown to us as the audience. Next up, we have another Hellfire Gala tie-in, that being X Force number twenty, written by Benjamin Percy with art by Joshua Kassara. Uh, this is going to be detailing the team of. Uh, Logan, Beast, Beast, uh, <laughs> Domino, Kid Omega, and others as they run security for the Hellfire Gala. So this is going to be f- interesting. This is going to be fun. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Invite only to the Hellfire Gala. It's party time, but somebody's got to work it. And when infighted guests and a few crashes prove to be planted antagonistic agents, X-Force will need to get their hands dirty and keep all this under wraps before anyone catches wind. So that sounds fun. I like that they are setting up different POVs with each book being just a piece of the puzzle when it comes to this big event. That's how it should be. It's how it should be when you're tying in different uh, different books like this. So I'm looking forward to this for sure. Next up, we have Crime Syndicate number four. This is written by Andy Schmidt with art by Karen McCone and Brian Hitch. And this is, it looks like from the cover at least, this is going to be the uh, the Power Ring uh, issue, or I guess he's called the Emerald Knight in this iteration of the Crime Syndicate. Uh, this is issue four of six, so we've got two more issues after this as they continue their campaign to establish the Crime Syndicate and fight off the invasion of Starro. Um, this is going to be really interesting. I'm, I've been enjoying it so far. The origin stories, I think I've been enjoying almost more than the main story. But um, I'm liking this version of the Crime Syndicate for sure. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. The New Deal, Part 4. The world has been saved by the Crime Syndicate? With the Starro invaders vanquished, what's next for Earth-3's most notorious saviors? Can Loose Cannon's Emerald Knight, Quick, and Atomica keep their cool? Will Ultraman accept Superwoman and Owlman's tantalizing offer? And what is Alexander Luthor plotting as all these metahuman menaces run amok? Here's the real question of the month. Which heroes will join the Legion of Justice? Plus, witness the origin of the Emerald Knight. So yeah. Um, I Like I said, I'm enjoying this. I'm glad that we're getting a look at these characters, these different versions of these characters. Should be very interesting, and I like these origins for sure. Next up, we have our first Heroes Reborn tie-in, that, me- that being Heroes Reborn Marvel Double Action Number 1. This is written by Tim Seeley with art by Dan Jurgens. That's fun. And this looks like it's going to be another one of the um, kind of throwback issues like we had with uh, Hyperion and the uh, Imperial Guard, where it's kind of like 
talking about or referencing older comic styles, which I enjoy. I love throwbacks to this. Dan Jurgens is probably the best artist you could get for something like this. So very much looking forward to this. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. The World of No Return. A tale from the squadron's past. Years ago, Nighthawk and his trusted partner, the Falcon, patrolled the streets of Washington, D.C. from the vile criminals that lurked in the dark. But that all changed one fateful night, representing for the first time ever the night Sam Wilson died. So this is very much, you know, a... a uh, an homage to the night Gwen Stacy died. It's even got the Green Goblin, the redux of the cover. It's it's very cool. I like stuff like this. I know Heroes Reborn isn't for everybody, and not everybody's loving this so far, but I've been really enjoying mostly the tie-ins. The tie-ins have been the best part for me, so I've been really enjoying it. Next up, we have Batman number 109, written by James Tynan IV, with art by Ricardo Lopez-Ortiz and George Jimenez. I've been really enjoying this so far. Honestly, I will say that I think I am liking Detective Comics more than the mainline Batman book, but... Still very much enjoying it so far. I like this new era of a more uh, street level when it comes to his capabilities, Batman. So I'm enjoying the building of this, you know, as I was saying during the uh, the Future State event, this Blade Runner-esque Gotham. And now we're getting our, uh, our origin story for Peacekeeper 01. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. The Cowardly Lot, Part 4, Slash Ghostmaker, Chapter 3. Mayor Nakano greenlights the Magistrate Pilot Program for Gotham City, as Batman goes toe-to-toe with the augmented and bloodthirsty Peacekeeper O-1. It's a brutal battle for the ages, but what secrets does Harley Quinn hold about the man beneath the armor, Sean Mahoney? And how does this all play into the Scarecrow's hands? Ghostmaker is fighting through incredible odds to reach the nefarious Madame Midas, but will his next opponent, Brainstorm, be impossible to overcome? So I'm really enjoying this. Uh, like I said, I'm I'm kind of you know take it or leave it on Ghostmaker. Uh, he's a he's got a cool design, he's a cool idea for a character, but I'm not really invested in him yet. I'm really here for the main stuff. So uh, looking forward to this throwdown between Batman and Peacekeeper One should be really cool. Next up we have Iron Fist, Heart of the Dragon number six. This is written by Larry Hama with art by David Wachter. This book is starting to wrap up, I think. Yeah, uh, this looks like it's going to be the last issue, at least for this miniseries we don't know where the story is going to go or where iron fist is going to go from here okoye has also been uh, a big mainstay of this book which i didn't see coming until actually reading the uh i believe it was like the third issue but i've been really enjoying it i love this you know high fantasy martial arts marvel story and i'm hoping that we get more stuff like this in the future so let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here The end of heaven? The dragons have fallen, a champion rises, an ending and a new beginning? Very ominous. I like that a lot. Uh, Looking forward to this book for sure. Next up, we have Batman Catwoman number five. This is written by Tom King with art by Clay Mann. 
And I have been slowly, you know, easing my way into this book. You know, I already talked about how the first issue really didn't grab me immediately, but every issue after that has gotten better and better It when it comes to, you know, separating out the timelines, pushing the narrative forward. The artwork by Clayman is next level as always, but we will just have to see where they go from here. Looking forward to it. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. The Bat and the Cat, Chapter 5. Batman's two loves collide, and the smash-up could be dangerous, not just for the Cape Crusader, but for the Joker as well. In order to prove her mission is righteous, Phantasm takes Catwoman out on a hit against one of the men responsible for the disappearance of her son. Unfortunately for Selina Kyle, this isn't the first time she's gone behind Batman's back to try to do the right thing, so she's far too aware of how bad a turn this whole affair could take. Also, in the future, it's Harley Quinn ready to avenge Mr. J. So that sounds awesome. I really, again... It took a little bit to find its footing, but I like the separate timelines. I think it makes the story really dynamic, and the way that it kind of plays with dramatic irony is really fun. So, looking forward to this for sure. Next up, we have our next Heroes Reborn tie-in, that being Heroes Reborn American Knights number 1. This is written by Paul Grist, with art by Christopher Allen. And this is your Marvel Knights, street-level, you know, Defenders-type uh, story. Looking forward to this. I always love getting to look at alternate versions of the Marvel Knights. That's what I like so much about that Marvel Knights mini. That was essentially Flashpoint, but for Marvel, uh, that came out a couple of years back. And this, you know, is kind of following in that footstep. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Backed by the Squadron Supreme, Commissioner Cage thinks he's bulletproof. He's dead wrong. And it'll take a saint to prove it. Someone is cleaning up criminals who've escaped justice and leaving a bloody trail in their wake. This is the Squadron's world, and the Age of Vigilantes is over. Police Commissioner Luke Cage has one job. Find the scum and eliminate them before ambition takes them beyond the city streets. So... This is interesting. Um, it looks like Daredevil in this world is called The Saint. Uh, on the cover, he's got a big old S on his chest. So um, this is fascinating. I love stuff like this. Uh, this is going to be a uh, one to keep your eye out for, for sure. Next up, we have Green Lantern number three. This is written by Jeffrey Thorne with art by Marco Santucci and Tom Rainey. And I... I've been really digging the last two issues. Uh, we got my girl, Joe Mullane, here. She's kicking ass. I can't wait to see her get involved more in the mainline DC universe. And also, it looks like we're going to be finally finding out what happened to Jon Stewart and the rest of his merry band after they sent themselves all the way out into a distant sector right before the uh, power battery on Oa destro was destroyed. So... Behind enemy lines, uh, this is going to be really fun. Let's go ahead and check out the synopsis here. Stranded in a dark sector with no rings and no backup, Jon Stewart is out of options, his back against the wall. After the central power battery dies, Jon must live long enough to gather the surviving Green Lanterns and find a way home. 
While one of the newest Green Lanterns, Far Sector's Joe Mullane, navigates a host of unknown dangers on the Green Lantern's homeworld of Oa, as she works to uncover the cause of the battery's collapse and who was behind it. So I like that they're essentially setting this up as it's going to be two different narratives. One is like a, you know, behind enemy lines war story for John, and the other is going to be a detective noir story for Joe. I love this idea. Please give me more Joe Mullane. I will always be here for it. Next up, we have Heroes Reborn number five, written by Jason Aaron, with art by Ed McGinnis and R.M. Guerra. And this looks like it is going to be the issue focused on Nighthawk. He got a little bit of shine in last week's Heroes Reborn books, but it looks like this one is going to be putting him front and center. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. When there's a riot at the Ravencroft Asylum, Nighthawk must descend alone into a realm of madness, surrounded by the most deranged members of his notorious rogues gallery, including his archenemy, the Maniacal Goblin. What more do you need? Uh, this is a great book to be releasing at the same time as the, you know, flashback to when Sam Wilson died, which I'm sure was planned that way. Uh, I'm looking forward to this. This should be good for sure. Next up, we have Firepower number 12, written by Robert Kirkman with art by Chris Somney and Matt Wilson. And this is a big oversized 12th issue. This is... Apparently, according to the uh, the cover and what we are going to see from the synopsis, the conclusion of this first major arc of the book, um, I don't know where they're going from here. They have kind of gone along with, you know, this story. The story does not wait for you. <laughs> uh, we started off with Owen Johnson kind of living in the suburbs, having given up his life uh, as you know, the wielder of the firepower. And now here we are in all out war. He's got his own signature super suit. Um, and only 12 issues. This has been very good. I've really, really enjoyed this book so far. And I can't wait to see how they wrap up this first arc. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Celebrating one full year of firepower. What a wild ride it's been. And everything has been leading to this moment. The Scorched Earth Clan and the Order of the Flaming Fist face off one final time. Owen Johnson has fully re-entered the world he left behind, and from this point on, everything changes. This oversized issue is not to be missed. So... That tells you everything you need to know if you have been following along with the book or you've been, you know, waiting to kind of jump in until the first arc is over with. Now is the time. Get caught up. Read this book. You will not be sorry. But the big book of the week for me, the book I think you should absolutely be picking up is Marauders number 21. Not just because I've been loving Marauders from start to finish, not just because it's one of the X books that I have been diligently picking up every single month, but this is part one of the Hellfire Gala. This is going to be your entry point into the Gala. The other tie-ins with Hellions and X-Force are chronologically, I guess, supposed to come after this. This is the opening salvo. This is the... Um, grand debut of the Hellfire Gala, you do not want to miss this. If you are paying attention to Marvel Comics, if you are paying attention to X-Men Comics, you do not want to miss this book. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. 
Welcome to the Hellfire Gala. The Hellfire Trading Company has put together the biggest event of the season, the very first Hellfire Gala. Everyone will be there, all your favorite mutants, their closest allies, even their worst enemies, for a night of dinner, drinks, diplomacy, and deceit. Fireworks to follow. Plus, from the archives, a classic X-Men tale with our very first look at a Hellfire Gala by Chris Claremont and John Bolton. So that sounds fun. Uh, we've got this big Hellfire Gala event, and we're taking a look back at, you know, something from the Claremont era. I do not think that this is a coincidence. I do not think this is just a, hey, you know, we're throwing this in just to have it there. Jonathan Hickman does not play that way. So there is going to be something important that happens in this, you know, uh, this little snippet, this little archive, you know, scene or issue check this out. You're going to want to be picking this up. And that does it for another stacked comics countdown. To recap, we've got Hellions number 12, Suicide Squad number 4, X-Force number 20, Crime Syndicate number 4, Heroes Reborn Marvel Double Action number 1, Batman number 109, Iron Fist Heart of the Dragon number 6, Batman Catwoman number 5, Heroes Reborn American Knights number 1, Green Lantern number 3, Heroes Reborn number 5, Firepower number 12 and marauders number 21 and that is going to bring us to the wrap-up if this is your first time joining us on the geek explained podcast and you like what i do here please feel free to subscribe on the podcasting platform of your choice and give us a rating and review we drop episodes every single wednesday and honestly subscriptions ratings reviews they really help me out it really helps the podcast out and the whole algorithm podcast nonsense kind of raises our stock in the podcasting space and gets us out and into the orbit of listeners just like you. And if you give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, whatever you want to call it, I will read your review here on the podcast. You can join the likes of our Mighty Nine, including Seafire ND, Josh from Panels to Pixels, Matt Draper, Burrito Man 88, Doug from For Every Kind of Geek, Don Swanson, Brian, Mouth Dork, and Dallas Meeks. Want to say a big thank you to our Mighty Nine for their reviews, and I cannot wait to hear yours. Also, if you want to be a part of our Geeksplain mailbag, if you have a question for me, you want a quick pitch on something, or maybe a recommendation for comics that I haven't gotten to on the podcast yet, feel free to send emails to geeksplain at gmail.com, put mailbag in the subject header, and I will read them here on the podcast each week. Also, if you want to keep up to date with the happenings of the podcast, participate in polls that decide future episodes, or you just want to shoot the shit on the latest geek news, media, and all that stuff, uh, feel free to follow us on all these social medias the Instagrams and the Twitters at GeeksplainPod. That's at GeeksplainPod. But that is going to do it for this week's episode. want to give a big thank you once again to Dallas from the Comics Collective Podcast for appearing on the podcast two weeks in a row. That doesn't happen very often. And on top of that, you heard in that main segment this week, Dallas was moving in the middle of this whole thing. We recorded this uh, this past Friday during... Uh, Dallas's big move to the big city and I just want to again say a big thank you to him uh, means a lot that he set aside the time during a 
pretty important life event to talk about comic books. So once again, thank you to him. Go subscribe to his podcast, the Comics Collective podcast. They're wonderful. He hosts it along with his sister Lexi. They're both excellent. It, it's one of the most intro-friendly podcasts if you are trying to get into comics, if you just want to hear two people who have a love and passion for the form. Uh, that's the place to go. If you like what I do, you're going to love what they do. It's They're great. Go check them out. Comics Collective Podcast, wherever you find podcasts. That is going to wrap up this week's episode. Next week, we've got something very exciting that I'm really, really looking forward to talking about. We are going to be counting down my top five time travel comics. We've got Loki joining the Disney Plus family next week as of this recording. And with all the time travel shenanigans going on with that show, I thought it would be a perfect time to talk about my top five time travel comics. I'm going to let you know as a spoiler, Age of Ultron is not on the list. I know, I'm sorry, but it's not going to be there. You can consider it an honorable mention if you want, uh, but I am very excited to talk about that. So look forward to that. Check that out and tune in for my top five time travel comics next week. Same geek time, same geek channel. But for now, for Geek Explained, this is Eric Azana. Thank you very much for listening. Stay safe, and we will see you next time. Thank you.
what I want.